Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Stigma. I'm your host, Ciara Minova, and we are back here with our clinical psychologist, Elena Vasilake. And today's episode is a special one because it is all about you. You asked, and we will answer. I made a story on my Instagram page last week and asked people, what are some burning questions you have deep down, but don't really know where to start or how to address it? So we got some interesting questions, starting from personality to genetic susceptibility to self-esteem, and Alina will be responding with the answers today. So let's jump right into it. Alina, great to have you back, and thank you so much for doing this Q&A. Hello, everybody. Very excited to be here as always. Uh, Thank you so much for having me here. Um, And yeah, I'm very excited to hear some of the the questions from our listeners. Awesome. So mind you, this episode will be quite broad as people have different questions, but I will put timestamps on the episode so that you as a listener can choose which questions you want to jump right into. So to kick off the first question, which I think ties to a lot of our previous episodes on cognitive distortions and also on self-esteem, this person says, and bravely, thank you for this question, I always feel like my friends or people hate me depending on the day or the mood, but I'm not sure if it's all in my head. What should I do? A very interesting one and a very common one. So it is very, very likely to indeed be in the person's head uh, or interpretation. Um, Obviously, it cannot be a realistic, um, you know, uh, thought or a realistic situation that all the friends are hating this person because otherwise they would not be around the person, right? (laughs) So this makes me think as a possible explanation, either it goes back to that Um, core negative belief about oneself. Most of us, we have this core negative belief about ourselves. Uh, I'm not good enough. I'm not, uh, uh, I'm ugly. I am weak. I am um, worthless and so on and so on. This can be related to a core negative belief of I'm not lovable. I'm not uh, Mm. likable. I'm not uh, good enough to be liked by people. Or even more, because as um, as the I'm, I'm looking at the words at the exact words so she or he is saying uh my friends hate me yes so hate me is a very extreme big word right so it can even be more linked to a, even a stronger negative belief core belief i am a horrible person for example or um i cannot be liked right so so this needs to be really investigated, see if it's in there. And most likely the person is filtering all these social interactions through this um, negative uh, belief about themselves. And also it can vary depending on the day. So um, some days when other things are going wrong in the person's life, then this belief somehow is more is intensified. Mm. So then more we are filtering our interpersonal relationships with this yeah, with this belief, through this uh, beliefs, belief. But um, another possible explanation for this is also a history of bullying. So if the person in the past, they had uh, some kind of uh, negative experiences where they've been bullied, where they've been um, gone through situations where they felt hated or rejected or mistreated, they can also have this schema yeah they've placed this schema and again their brain will really filter everything through this but again um i'm only talking 
from my experience with similar cases where I've seen a similar uh, reaction or interpretation or feeling, uh, I cannot obviously know exactly what the situation is. But I would say if this person notices that uh, it's uh, it keeps going back to this feeling or this thought, then they should investigate a little bit more because this creates a lot of suffering. This creates a lot of um, issues in interpersonal relationships, which is a shame and it's uh, obviously not good in life to struggle in this area. Yeah. Yeah. And I also feel, you know, like you said about, I also feel like self-love needs to be practiced here. Maybe this person just doesn't love himself enough, like you said, because of some core negative beliefs, because of maybe being bullied in the past. But, you know, you need to just keep practicing that. You need to keep practicing and understanding that you are enough and you are good the way you are. And, you know, sometimes if people can't accept that, then maybe you are with the wrong friends or with the wrong people, you know, in assumption that people do hate this person, but it could strongly be the fact that it's in the person's head and it's linked to their self-esteem and the way they feel about themselves. And because they feel that way, it could be a reflection of what they think other people think of them. And I found interesting what they said was depending on the day. So it's almost as if like, if they feel good about themselves on the day, I wonder if they also feel like people like them on that day. But if they feel bad about themselves, then if they feel like, you know, everyone hates them. So I agree, it's something definitely that needs to be looked at. But um, yeah, I just hope that you can kind of take the next step from here. Well, definitely, as we can see, the attention is not uh, on themselves. Somehow this person is not very centered. The attention is more on the others and how others feel about them. So it's right what you're saying. Definitely, it's, um, it will vary very much. The self-concept basically varies from one day to another. Um, and it's very much, uh, the focus is very much towards outside rather um being within so this there must be a shift there we need to make a shift there so the person becomes centered and um there's no let's say that one day i have a good day things are going well in my life and second day i have a bad day things are not going great and um i'm going through something but that doesn't mean that i have to feel as a person differently right um so clearly something is going on there with their own uh, beliefs about themselves with the self-concept yeah yeah so of course uh, one more time encouraging uh, therapy in this case and probably that uh, will help a lot and not only therapy other methods as well but definitely exploring and understanding more what's going on yeah for sure so the next question focuses on mm, i would say so-called personality disorders uh this person asked how does or how can a person with narcissistic personality disorder truly change and be cured? Very interesting, yes. And it's a topic that uh, we did not touch much, personality disorders, um, quite a um, difficult one. In this case, uh, the question is about narcissistic personality disorder. Okay, do they cure or not? Well, 
Unfortunately, the real answer here is no, they do not cure. Actually, personality disorders, that's why they have this name, personality disorders, not because they they do have to, they have to do with the personality, but the, re, the fact that they're so ingrained and so constant in the person's character and behavior, and in general, they will not change. Therapy will always help because it will... Um, somehow tone down those uh, manifestations of the of the personality disorder but we cannot say that personality disorders are reversible are totally reversible it's not like the case of a i don't know a specific uh, anxiety disorder where if we really work on it we understand it we use certain techniques and strategies and uh, we will really reverse that problematic. It's not the case of personality disorders. Can you maybe explain what narcissistic personality disorder is? Uh, So narcissistic personality disorder is also linked to the attachment with the main figures in childhood. And in general, there are people that have been neglected or somehow emotionally abused. And they've created as a coping mechanism um, a way of self-aggrandizing and uh, superiority complex, if we want to call it. So basically, there are people that are very self-centered. There are people that consider themselves uh, to be somehow uh, superior to all the rest. They consider themselves to be right. They are very entitled. Mm-hmm. And in general, they'll be quite, in in their behavior, in their interaction in their relationships they can be quite harmful towards others Uh, they're very strong they tend to to be very strong as personalities they tend to impose a lot they tend to somehow overwhelm other people they're quite difficult to handle Realistically speaking, if I could share this from our from the backstage of uh, of the psychotherapists, um, these cases are the ones where normally even therapists uh, find it quite difficult to to handle these cases, and sometimes you know it's, it it comes even as a relief when when you stop seeing a case like this because they're very difficult. Difficult in, in what way? And in their personal life. Mm, they will never accept easily any type of guidance. They'll always have this approach of, I am better than the rest. And whatever comes to, um, they, they cannot tolerate absolutely uh, at all any kind of indication that they might not be right or they might not be in the correct uh, behavior or they might actually uh, or they or, or they're not open towards changing and therapy it's all about changing right uh, mostly these cases they reach the therapy room not because they decide very few cases they will decide but even if they is their own decision it will be because they lost something significantly in their life so um, you know, a partner or a, a spouse that um, leaves them, uh, or several of them, or they really they they do tend to feel the loneliness because reaching a certain age in life they will be lonely. Everybody runs away, um, so or because they have huge conflicts at work and they cannot somehow manage to be in uh, to have any good relationships in their life, and. But most cases, they, they, they are kind of forced towards the therapy. 
Mm. Yeah. You have to establish a uh, you have to spend a lot of time in the therapy just to bond with them until you can even try to make a change, right? And it's very hard to connect them to their vulnerable inner child, to the vulnerable part of them. There is one in there, but it's very very hidden and it's like an onion. You have to peel so many layers to get to the vulnerable part of them. The moment you'll try to get to the vulnerable part, they will uh, block you immediately. So very difficult cases. Now, I want to mention something here for the listeners that out there. It is overly, absolutely overly um, kind of diagnosed or publicly mm-hmm. diagnosed and used as okay. a um, you know, as a term almost. Uh, oh, my partner is a narcissist. Oh, my uh, boss is a narcissist. Oh, and it's not like that. These cases are not very common. And uh, it doesn't mean that if a person doesn't really, is not really able to respond to your emotional needs or if the relationship is not going well, or even if you feel that you are a little bit mistreated or disrespected, doesn't necessarily mean that your partner or your, uh, you know, colleague or your boss is a, is a narcissist. Yeah, it's it's really overly incorrectly used. I think you're absolutely right in this. People do throw the word narcissist or narcissistic. And I would say to a certain degree, I not that I reject personality disorders, but I think, like you said, it's not the way people think that, oh, just because someone is shut down emotionally or just because someone treated you wrong, then they're, you know, a narcissist or a sociopath, right? Like we we use these words very easily. And I have to admit, I used to before, you know, I was studying um, human behavior. I also used to use the word, oh, such a sociopath, such a narcissist easily. But um, it's so subjective as well. I, one person can be so-called have narcissistic traits. I think that's the difference we're talking about, right? Like someone having narcissistic traits versus actually having a narcissistic personality disorder. Although, you know, like I said, I don't really believe in that, but um, I think everyone has to a certain degree narcissistic traits, right? Maybe one person will meet me and they think I'm the sweetest, but then I could have a relationship or a friendship with someone and they might see me at times where they say that, oh no, this person is actually a narcissist. So I think it's quite subjective. And also the word cured, um, I don't see that there's nothing to be cured. You know, it's a, it's a trait. It's a, it's a personality. It's more of like, can you become a better person or can you be more empathetic? I guess at least that's kind of where my thought yes, process is. I totally agree. I totally agree. It's okay to say, um, you know, somebody uh, has narcissistic traits. Definitely. As you say, most of us, we have one or the other, or in different situations, we will act uh, from, one of those traits, but uh, but uh, not to call a person a narcissist. Yeah, that's a little bit uh, too much. And uh, and uh, as you said, the idea of uh, curing somebody, even when we have a clinical disorder, we we shouldn't necessarily say that we have to cure it. We have to make the person feel better and um, be better, be a better person. And uh, narcissistic. Um, uh, people they also suffer to a certain degree they might not show it and it's very hard for them to get to a place where they will show it they will share it they will tell us 
how lonely they feel and how, um, you know, how sometimes they have negative thoughts about themselves as well, because obviously they're rational. So they will understand that nobody um, stays with them and they have no relationships and no meaningful relationships in their life. So they get to feel loneliness and sadness as well. Um, but somehow they are, they are seen, you know, like the sharks in the sea. <laughs> they are seen the monsters. Uh, when in reality they are not, but they are difficult cases to work with from our perspective as therapists because they're pretty resistant. And most of personality disorders are, actually. Yeah. This kind of links to what you said in the beginning that it is created on a basis of past belief, past experiences, how maybe they were treated what they were taught, what they saw emotionally, um, maybe even physically, how loved they were or how they weren't loved, which essentially in a nutshell kind of goes to maybe like the traumas. So which kind of leads to my next question that I received. And I think this question is a very important one. And the person asks, how do I know if I'm dealing with trauma? Oh, well, um, trauma, very interesting and loved subject for me personally um, because I work a lot with trauma and I specialize in the help that we give to people um, suffering from trauma. So how do I know if I suffer from trauma? Well, we know it because somehow we feel that there's a before and after. So there is a negative event in our life that somehow changed us marked us, left a wound. And in general, I ask my people here in sessions, okay, tell me what was before, what was you, how was you before, and how is you after. And then there's also a feeling that people get somehow blocked from that point, that the past interferes with the present. And we see it clearly. So um, something happened in my past, and still that is making me react in the present. It, uh, I get triggered. I get reminded of that emotional experience. I get discomfort um, by things that are maybe small parts of what happened. Okay, so let's say, let's take the typical example of the post-traumatic stress disorder uh, for the soldiers that are coming back from a war. Um they will, you know, hear the fireworks and automatically relieve the experience of, uh, of you know, I don't know, a terrible scene they've been in. So um, you see a very small part stimulus that reminds them of the traumatic event will make them re-experience emotionally the, the same situation. That is basically a trauma. In psychology, uh, when we work with trauma, we talk about big T's, mm -hmm. so big traumas that are abuses, wars, accidents, uh, catastrophes, and so on. But we also have small T's, what we call small T's, and that doesn't mean that they're not hard as well, which are more emotional traumas. Yeah, it can be, you know, somebody that uh, cheated on me, it can be somebody that mistreated me, it can be uh, an injustice that happened to me, and these are also traumas, yeah? Definitely the person, what they will feel is that there's a before and after, yeah? It's almost like the event was a cut, a cut in their, you know, in their body, a wound, and that wound remained open. 
somehow. What tells us that the wound is still open? The fact that I still get triggered. The fact that I'm still somehow re-experiencing emotionally what happened to me in my past, although should be in the past, right? So that is a trauma in a very small uh, explanation. Wow. That was a very beautiful answer, Alina. Thank you. And um, I think we should do a whole episode on trauma, actually. And I know we did discuss it before, but um, there is definitely a lot to to say on this. And I hope this response gave this person a bit of an idea whether they're actually dealing with it or not. Now, the next question, this focuses on um, more on the nature versus nurture aspect of being human. Um, in other words, are we a result of our environment or of our genes? And I do want to mention to those who haven't listened, we do have an episode on gene environment correlation, which you might find interesting uh, if you're interested in this question. So do check it out. Okay. So the question is, basically the question is, are certain psychological traits known to be more hereditary or more environmental by impact? For me, this is a very hard uh, answer to give um, because we cannot really know exactly the percentage of you know, what's inherited and what is really experienced in life. And for us in therapy, we mostly work on what we can change, which is uh, nurture, right? Definitely. And, and I'm absolutely sure that there are certain psychological traits um, that are inherited. Let's say that a person can be more, have more the tendency towards rationalizing, can have more intellectual um, capabilities. And that goes back to the cognitive profile. The cognitive profile, each of us, we have it and it's, uh, you know, set there and it's inherited. But then again, how much we develop and how much we manifest a specific trait, even a psychological one, it will be very much influenced by our experience. And I go back to the fact that I even worked with identical twins where, yes, there were certain things that were in common, but they were mostly, I would call them biological rather than, you know, uh, what do I mean by that? I mean, gestures, I mean, voice, the way I express things, uh, um, intellectual abilities. Uh, so those, yes, I... I was clearly seeing the similarity, but then the actual different experience in life made a big, big difference between the two, uh, between the twins, right? So yes, I am absolutely sure there are a lot of psychological traits that are somehow um, genetically predisposed and we inherit them from our parents, our grandparents and so on. Uh, but I will not be able to give a specific list of these are the ones that are more influenced by the um, nature, right? The, in, in reality, we shouldn't really focus on what we cannot change. Yeah, there is a basic genetic um, you know, predisposition in each uh, and every one of us, but that we cannot really change. So what we're focusing on is on the other part that is plastic, that it can be changed and, um, and almost everything and anything can be uh, actually influenced. Yeah. Um, I do, I do think I briefly remember that, um, bipolar disorder, for example, was through like monozygotic twin studies was shown to be one of the most highly genetically inherited psychiatric disorders. And interestingly, so did depression and also things like um, 
you know, ADHD and schizophrenia and OCD. But like you said, I feel like it's, um, it's, it's quite difficult to pinpoint, right? Because there's so many factors that come into play. And just because you are, I think that's the important thing that just because you are genetically predisposed for a condition, it doesn't mean that you will get it. And if you are not genetically predispositioned, um, it, it, you still could get it right. So that nurture aspect is basically super important to stop you or provoke you to get it. So it is a combination of our genes and environment rather than just like only genetic or only, um, environmental. So, so indeed, uh, there are plenty studies that show that specific uh, disorders, mood disorders, schizophrenia, as you said, um, they they come with uh, with a bigger percentage of predisposition. It's a predisposition, but it depends on the nurture. It depends on the life events if they will manifest or not. It's exactly or similar to the cancer studies, right? That show that I might have the predisposition, but it depends very much on how my life goes, and uh, I can even say how uh, my mental health is and emotional well-being is if I develop it, if I manifest it or not during my life. So it's the same with the psychology. But there we're talking about disorder and we're not talking about traits. Yeah, so... There's a difference. Absolutely, yeah. Alina, the next question, um, which I think maybe can be very relevant to a lot of people today, thanks to social media, <laughs> thanks to um, the availability to text, call, FaceTime, and any other possibility you can think of um, to reach people. So this person says, I get overwhelmed when people message and call me too much. Is that normal? Okay, so the question is, I get overwhelmed. Well, again, it's a statement. Uh, I get overwhelmed when people message me too much, yes? Mm -hmm. Here, it's a question of investigating what upsets me, what irritates me. Is it because I am so busy and overwhelmed with my things and I consider this a waste of my time? Is it because I consider that people, um, you know, get too much into my business? Is it that... Um, I just don't like, you know, the beep of the phone all the time. Um, we really need to see what exactly upsets you. What is the trigger there for this person? Maybe they have, it can be really, it can be such a vast uh, possible explanation here. It can be that the person has an urge to respond to everything, right? To see the phone always clear. Uh, or the email always uh, <laughs> clear. So because they have this over-responsibility of I have to answer to everybody and I have to, uh, you know, be nice to everybody, that adds pressure and irritates them. So you see, it can be a complete different scenarios depending on what is the person's trigger. Yeah, so I would go back and ask this person, what exactly upsets you? What do you tell yourself when you receive these messages? Or if they upset you so much, are you setting the right boundaries? Yeah, it makes sense. Like if this person is, why is this person feeling overwhelmed? And maybe even when, like who do they feel overwhelmed with? Is there specific people that they feel overwhelmed when they message? Is it everyone? Like you said, do they have too much on their plate? Uh, so it's really a matter of like understanding that. And again, also, as you said, if 
it is because due to, you know, X, Y, and Z, perhaps it's about setting boundaries and being able to do things to not, not get as overwhelmed. Kind of, uh, not exactly similar to it, but in a sense, the next question is on, in a way, I guess it's on ADHD or attention. So this person says, I lose attention quickly, especially when I study. Is that a sign of ADHD? And how can I improve my focus? Okay, so this is a uh, probably the most common complaint I, I hear in sessions. Really? Um, yes, it is. Uh, I cannot focus, I cannot focus. And again, we have to really investigate the case and what's going on there because ADHD, it is overdiagnosed as well. And all people consider they have ADHD. And ADHD is not only the inability to focus. So number one, if there is some anxiety, some stress, some um, low mood, um, focus will go away. We will not function at our full potential. But the most common explanation is, and, and I really explain this to people, our brain selects very well what it considers absolutely necessary <laughs> for our almost survival. So if, for example, and this is very studied in psychology, let's say that I have an exam next week. Somehow during this week or the days before I'm studying, I will be very focused and I will be able to memorize due to the motivation and the need but the moment I, I've been through the exam, exam is done, 90% of that information somehow is gone. And also my ability to sit down and focus and study, okay? Because the brain considers that it doesn't need it anymore. It's the same with I'm studying something. Rationally, I know I have to study this because I have to pass this exam. But realistically, I don't like it or I'm not actually interested in it. Or I know that in the future is not going to be something that I will use in my life the brain probably will struggle to give me the focusing tool as such, yeah, the tool of being able to concentrate and focus because the brain clearly considers that it's not needed. So this is number one. We need to, to, to understand that our ability to focus, concentrate and work is very much linked to what the brain will consider needed, especially survival. How many times we will, for example, say, I want to learn a language. But what is the difference between I want to learn the language and I really need to learn a language? Mm. The same person will have a complete different ability to focus and absorb that language. If they need it, if they absolutely need it in their life, they will learn it much faster and easier than the other way around. Yeah. So the focus is very much linked to what the brain decides is important, needed, um, you know, used. Number one. Number two, as I said, it has to do a lot with our emotional well-being. So if there's any mood problem there, the focus will, you know, uh, be reduced. Another explanation can be, of course, ADHD, which is a disorder of attention, but that needs to be properly assessed and that in general doesn't come just as a um, disorder of the attention. It it has some other components there, such as sensory uh, issues and and other uh, traits. So again, to jump at the conclusion that if I cannot focus um, on a specific uh, task, on a specific um, objective that I have, uh, studying, work, whatever it is, doesn't necessarily mean that I have ADHD directly, because this is also something very commonly <laughs> said out there. 
Yeah. So um, I know ADHD is not your area of expertise, but um, do you perhaps know what would be the diagnosis of ADHD? What are the so-called symptoms of it? Oh, there, there are so many, definitely. And it depends because we have two variations here. There is ADHD, attention deficit disorder with hyperactivity or attention deficit disorder without the hyperactivity and impulsivity. So again, there's a huge list of symptoms that come here. I mean, there's no point for us to list them. They include the inability to focus and concentrate. It includes the um, difficulty in learning. It includes uh, impulsivity, hyperactivity activity but as i said it needs to be properly assessed we cannot simply jump to the conclusion of i have adhd the specific assessments and specific tools that will uh, will uh, properly place this diagnosis and at the same time observation and uh, the the impulsivity of the person uh, if it's there as a component uh, needs to be observed right. and needs to be observed in all uh, settings, not just in one setting. Yeah, it needs to be a, a constant in the person's uh, life. All right, we have, we still have a lot of questions left here, but I know we need to wrap up in five minutes. So I will ask a final question for you, which I think a lot of people could relate with. So um, I will go ahead with this one. So this person says, "How do I stop becoming a people pleaser?" Oh, uh, not very easy to answer in uh, in few seconds or minutes how do i stop well again first of all we need to see why we are a people pleaser right is it because i believe i need to be a people pleaser in order to be uh, accepted loved and uh, integrated in a group do am i a people pleaser because i believe that i have no worth otherwise or people will not uh, be with me otherwise? Am I a people pleaser because I'm scared of confrontation or I'm scared of setting boundaries or I am um, a person that is very self-sacrificed and then I put the priority in other people's needs rather than myself? Why I am a people pleaser? Yeah, so this is the first thing that we need to figure out. And then we need to see, depending on what the answer is here, that's what we need to address and to change, right? If I am a person that I'm a people pleaser because I'm not assertive enough, then we need to learn and practice assertive communication, setting boundaries and, you know, taking that right of saying no and putting the limits, right? If I am a people pleaser because I believe that I am not going to receive love and acceptance otherwise, then I need to increase my love for myself. I need to improve my self-concept. I need to get rid of that core negative belief. Or if it's still there, I need to know how to have a healthy adult, loving adult voice that tells me that's not true. So then I become, again, very self-centered in a good way. Um, the center is in me, and then I don't have to be a people pleaser. I can be nice to people. That's a completely different <laughs> story. But I don't have to be a people pleaser all the time. Yeah? Just a quick answer. Again, it, this is a very complex, and it needs a very good evaluation, a very good understanding of because, as I said so many times, each person is a completely different world. So we need to understand very well what's going on. Wow. Amazing, Alina. 
This episode has been very, very insightful for me. So thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your expertise with us. And of course, thank you for everyone who dropped in your questions. I'm very sorry if we didn't get to answer all of them today, but we definitely will do another episode like this again in the future and make sure that the questions that weren't answered will be answered and other questions, uh, hopefully, that will be asked as well. Thank you so much. And indeed, this was a very, very beautiful episode where I kind of felt closer to our listeners somehow through these questions. So I'm more than happy to repeat this and continue with as many questions as possible. Thank you all. Thank you guys for tuning in and listening and we'll catch you in the next episode.